podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given. And at the time of recording, it has been a very momentous day in the day of cricket because Jimmy Anderson, the greatest fast bowler England has ever produced, possibly the greatest fast bowler of all time, took his 1,000th first-class wicket today, bowling for Lancashire against Kent. He also took his 1,001st and 1,002nd wicket today as he bowled a ridiculous spell. And because I've got absolutely no life whatsoever, I saw that ECB Cricket posted a seven-minute video of just every single delivery of James Anderson's spell. And I've already watched it twice. It is an absolute thing of beauty. Uh, He bowled Kent out for 74, pretty much single-handedly. Ten overs, five maidens, 19 runs for seven wickets. I mean, you don't see those figures on a Sunday league game. In fact, the only person that scored any runs off him and actually did a bit of damage to those figures at the end was the one and only Darren Stevens. I can't help but mention him every single week, but he actually gave Jimmy Anderson a bit of tap at the end, hit for a couple of fours. If it weren't for that, Jimmy Anderson's figures at one point looked like something that you could only get on the Xbox. Um, I mean, it's difficult to say anything about James Anderson that hasn't been said already. And there's all the cliches, you know, he's, he's getting better with age. He's bowling the best of his life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Stephen Finn, as somebody who's played a lot of cricket with Jimmy Anderson, what's he like? Because we only really get to see the on-the-field Jimmy Anderson. And the on-the-field Jimmy Anderson that we see is really, really good and really, really grumpy. And that's pretty much all we ever see is a grumpy Jimmy Anderson. Is he? What's what's he like? We've been on tour with him. You've played cricket with him for years. What's he like in the dressing room, at training, uh, on tour, and the coach? What's he like? Well, I think you've pretty much got it spot on there, I'd say. <laughs> he's very good at cricket and very grumpy. He's no, he's. I've loved spending time with him over the years. And lucky enough, I got to play in the same team as him for a lot of my international cricket. So, yeah, he's... Um, he was a great teammate. You, you know, he's always trying to get better. He pushes you along from a cricket perspective. And then probably the closest that you guys have got to seeing his true personality were Swanee's tour diaries, I'd say, in 2010-11, when he was walking around with the towel on up over his um, chest and with his hair towel in as well. I remember that scene of him and Swanee doing that. And that's the real Jimmy Anderson. He's, um, he's a bit of a practical joker cheeky bloke but if he's grumpy or if he looks grumpy just stay out of his way for a little while (laughs) I I had the tremendous pleasure of commentating with him around Australia after the last Ashes took he joined us on Test Match Special for the One Day International and uh, it was eye-opening indeed I think I may have mentioned this to you before but um, the first game he was with us he was incredibly taciturn he would not speak really and uh, I remember a couple of my colleagues saying, oh, my God, how are we going to how are we gonna get through a five-match tour with him? He's, he's really grumpy. I said, no, yeah, we, we'll, we'll sort this out. We'll take him out for a drink. So we went out in Brisbane, had a couple of pints, and he was quite standoffish because he's, he's quite suspicious of people he doesn't know. You know, I would be of you too, to be quite frank, if I didn't know you. <laughs> I'm sure he's lovely to most people. He just doesn't Don't trust accept you, you drinks creepy. or sweets off Norcross. Absolutely. Not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think we're all. We, I've known you for years, Dan. I'm still incredibly wary of you, especially when you've had a drink. My word. 
I'm very happy not to buy drinks for either of you. That sounds like a fantastic future. <laughs> but it, so anyway, you got a couple of pints inside of him, and then I sort of popped the question, which was, you know, Jimmy, why why are you such a grumpy bastard? And he said, uh, he said, well, uh, well, frankly, you, you spent the entire tour going on about my age, you know, and you know if I'm going to play cricket again, and I've just bowled better than everybody else in the team. I've just got more wickets at a better strike rate at a lower average and you can see the fewer runs than everyone. Why are you all constantly fixated by eight? So, okay, I get it now. And so we go, well, obviously we do because we're the media. We're bound to do that. We're, we're looking for the next point. You know, like you're not going to come back to Australia in four years' time. So I haven't been, just been shellacked for nil. We're thinking who's going to come back in four years' time and can actually win, assuming you're not going to be there. He said, why wouldn't I be there? It's fucking boiling hot. And it's a terrible pitch. It's a kookaburra ball. I mean, you'll be 39. You'll be virtually dead. What's the point? <laughs> <laughs> he said, well, I don't want my last memory of being in Australia to be losing 4-0. In any case, I'm, I'm bowling better than I've ever bowled. I'm enjoying it more. And then he came out of himself and he started talking. And you realise that this guy is an extraordinary... He's, he's a very unusual man. He's utterly driven by cricket. But also, he's got a kind of boyish enthusiasm for what he does he genuinely is excited when he gets perfects a new ball in training and he thinks he's still doing that and he probably is actually to be fair he gets great pleasure from his art he gets great pleasure from playing uh, and he's also been managed so brilliantly he, he knows when he's playing he knows that it'll be a couple of games for Lancashire in the lead up to play test cricket for England and not many cricketers have that advantage, to be honest, in Test cricket, do they? I mean, I, I can't think of anybody else out there. Maybe, you know, Stuart Broad, probably, mm. who has that. And it is an advantage, but it's an advantage that works for England and it works for both of them. And so the environment's been created to create this special cricketer. And we should revel in it because I don't know who else is going to take a thousand wickets. The, the probably best placed person to do it is Stuart Broad, who's on 860 odd, I think, now. Uh, and if he, because he's quite competitive with Jimmy, if he feels that, you know, he, he said before, if Jimmy's going at 38, why can't I? For another four years abroad, he would get to a 1,000. But mm. other than him, there's Mert. I mean, I know he goes on forever, but is he going to go on for another three seasons? Finney might be able to tell us. Hold on. I'm just, I'm just um, Googling how many wickets Tim Mert has got? Because my guess is he's not far away from 1,000 already. No, it's about 800, 832, I want to go. Something like sure? that. Yeah. 867. Sorry, 867. Okay. So that's yep. a few more years yet. That's a few more years well, yet. Well, it's but... three se three seasons at 45 wickets a season, that is. Mm. Do you reckon? He's still steaming in. He was steaming in today at Cheltenham again. So he's half a chance, I'd say. He has yeah. got half a chance, yeah. I mean, you mentioned Jimmy Anderson, a thousand wickets. I don't know whether we'll see it again because, you know, nowadays players are getting rested for test matches now. They're playing more white ball cricket. So we've seen with England players getting rested over the last few months and stuff. And I think also, I think if you were a young cricketer who's really good at bowling, you're going to really want to master white ball cricket because let's be honest, that's where you can make a few million quid in, in six weeks. So I don't know if a proper red ball cricketer like that is going to come along as much. No, no, but I want to point out that he's still got a thousand wickets fewer than WG Grace, who was an actual batsman. And he's got, <laughs> and he's got 3,000 wickets fewer than 
Wilf Road, who ended up with 30,000 first-class runs. So before we all go, isn't he brilliant? Jimmy, you've got another 20 years to go yet before you're going to get anywhere near these greats. Well, some of Brody's, um, some of Brody's celebrations and and wicket appeals are WG Grace-like, aren't they? Don't turn around to the umpire and just expect the umpire to give it out. You can imagine WG Grace doing that plenty of times. Yeah, Jake, come to watch me bowling, not not you exactly. umpiring. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Stuart Ford does the bowler's equivalent of putting the bales back on like WG Grace did all those years ago, didn't he? The, you know, greatest of all time argument gets thrown around. And I'm pretty sure if you ask any current England cricket fan, they'll tell you Jimmy Anderson is the greatest fast bowler ever. There are statistics to suggest that he's not. You know, there's people that have taken wickets at better averages and stuff like that. But all I can say from my point of view is he is genuinely my favourite fast bowler I've ever watched. And I'm not just saying that as a Bias England fan, but I love watching fast bowlers. And Glenn McGrath was exceptional. And there's been some amazing fast bowlers over the last 20 years or so. But for, he's probably the most skillful bowler I've ever seen. And, and also the fact that in recent years... He's answered questions in parts of the world where he'd struggled. He's gone to subcontinent and bowled really well. There was that ridiculous series in UAE where the pitches were dead and Anderson and Broad out bowled our spinners by a long way. He's gone and taken wickets in the ashes recently. As he's getting older, he's gone back to places he struggled in the past and found a way to take wickets. And he's just kept adding deliveries, like Norcross mentioned there, to his repertoire. Um, Finney, you talked about Jimmy Anderson, the man, but Jimmy Anderson, the bowler, where does he rank? You've shared the pitch with some incredible bowlers in your career, who's the best you've seen? Who did you love and, and who else when you were stood wherever you were, mid or mid-off cover, deep, a deep fine leg, wherever you were fielding, who were the best you've ever shared a pitch with? Oh, well, yeah, quite obviously, Jimmy is the best bowler. I mean, that's not taking anything away from Brody and, and his skill and his determination to play as many games and take as many wickets as he has. But yeah, it stood at mid-off, just Jim's consistency of just doing it all the time and winning games consistently for England. I mean, there was a stat today that in those 1,000 wickets, he's took 51 five-wicket hauls, <laughs> which mean... is ludicrous. 51 five-wicket hauls for a fast bowler in the modern era is just... It's 51 match-winning performances, which is just phenomenal. So, uh, yeah, Jimmy, in terms of the skill that you witness from someone when you're stood at mid-off, he was just by and far the best that I've ever seen. And it's almost like, I remember him bowling a couple of bad balls in a game once, so like a couple of cut balls. And he was just so disgusted with himself. He just couldn't believe that he'd bowled a cut ball. And I was like, mate, I, I do that two times and over. Fucking chill out. <laughs> chill out. It's if good. you got depressed every time you bowled a cut ball, you'd never make it onto the pitch. <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> Here he is. Um, again, I referenced this net. I cannot, <laughs> I literally cannot wait for it. I can't <laughs> wait to book myself in for bed and breakfast against your drivel. <laughs> just, just, just remember, I've just, now I know I've just got to survive the four good balls and two of them just step outside leg and cut past back to point for four. <laughs> um, but then in terms of the other bowlers that I loved watching, because fast bowlers, if you always, if you ask any of them, they'll always have guys that they love sitting there and watching. And even if you're playing against someone, you'll make sure that whenever they come on to bowl, you'll sit there and watch. And my one was Dale Stain. I loved mm. watching Dale Stain yeah. bowl. So even when I played against him in a few test matches and ODIs, when he came on to bowl, I made sure I was out on the balcony watching him. 
And he also hit me in the head in one of the test matches. So. <laughs> Did he? Genuinely, though, that, that, what, 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 do you, what can you learn from someone like Jimmy Anderson? Because, you know, we have this lovely idea, don't we, that you can pass on these great secrets. But essentially, Jimmy Anderson's a five foot 11 inch master of swing bowling with an incredible physique that keeps on going on and on and on. But he's looking at bowling 82, 83, 84 miles an hour, the occasional one that's a bit more slippery. To you as a fast bowler, can you learn from Jimmy Anderson? Do you ask him what, what you should be doing? Or your style, you know, you're a tall, bang it in bowler, you're an entirely different kind of style of bowler. Can, can you get anything from him? Well, I think you look at people's experiences and how you can relate to those experiences, I suppose, because everyone bowls differently and you can pick things up from people. So Jimmy bowls his away swingers off the opposite finger that you would think is logical to bowl an away swinger. So he rips with his index finger down the back of the ball as opposed to his middle finger. Oh, yeah. So that's how his seam, I think, stays so perfect. So if you were to run up and try that, I'm pretty sure I'd bowl it to fine leg because it would feel weird. Mm. Um, so each ball has their own things that they individually do that make them good. But I think when you look at people's experiences, that's where you really learn. And his strength of character to come through people messing around with his action when he was younger, it's coming through the other challenges that make talking to other fast bowlers really interesting. As an aside, I played a charity cricket game. You were there, Norcross, with Matthew Hoggard a few weeks back. And uh, I said to him, I said, okay, how do you grip the ball? I said, because I've started holding it a lot looser because everything I sort of read online says you should have it quite flimsy and Michael Holdings used to barely hold the ball with the ends of his fingers. And Matthew Hoggard said, try and take that ball out of my hand. And he could not have the ball deeper yeah. and harder in his hand. I mean, you cannot, the thing wouldn't budge. And he said, well, He did coach, though, didn't he? Yeah. He did. He, he had it like a claw. If you, if you, what, you, you look back at 2005, and yeah. that ball is like a claw in his hand isn't it and, and yeah. he was and he was told he'd never be able to swing the ball holding it like that and he had the most beautiful away swing to a right hander I mean it was all he had don't get me wrong there was no point giving him a bowl after 15 overs but yeah, it's bizarre how there's all these different ways of doing basically the the same thing um, well I mean a huge congratulations to Jimmy Anderson I've got no idea how long he's, he's going to go on for but I think I mean I can't see him anytime soon having that chat with the ECB selectors and going, oh, do you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm done. But Nor Norcross, what, do you, what oh, yeah. do you reckon? I, I tell you, I genuinely believe this. Jimmy Anderson will give up when a part of his body doesn't let him do what yeah. he knows he can do. And yeah. that will, that will, that'll be the only thing that does it. If his body is still holding up, he'll still be playing when he's 43, 44, because his hunger for it, his desire for it, and actually his enjoyment for it. Look, when he did the Ashes in 2017-18 and then joined us on TMS to do the ODIs. This wasn't a man who didn't want to be around cricket and had to fly back instantly because he'd been on this long, dreadful tour. This is a man who's got an appetite for the game. He loves it. And he'll keep on playing it as long as he feels he is doing himself justice. Yeah. Do you reckon that's all right, Vinny? That's what it feels yeah, like. Yeah, absolutely. You're aware that you're a long time retired. And if you are enjoying it and you're getting the results, then absolutely keep going. I think the thing for a sportsman is the hardest thing is accepting that moment that you realise your body or you or your mind can't do what it used to. And you just lose that competitive edge 
I suppose, um, and you lose enjoyment actually going out there onto the pitch becomes a bit of a chore. I'd say that seems to be the moment when people tend to retire. So as long as he's enjoying it and is out there cleaning up wickets and taking seven for 19 off 10 overs, there's absolutely no reason why he wouldn't be enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, But his standards are high though. So I, I think that, you know, he, he'll know pretty quickly as a bowler, it's a bit more brutal. As a batter, you you, you see people try, try to fight that process because they still believe it might come back. They might they might think it's just a poor run of form rather than a kind of physical, it's not happening for me anymore and I'm going to have to give up. Whereas with a bowler, I think it's, it's, it's brutal out there, isn't it? I mean, if you have lost that zip, if you're not getting it through the way you want it to, if the ball's not doing it for you, then you can get absolutely marmalised because you're up against some really good players. And he will not want to be being marmalised by, you know, players he doesn't think deserve to marmalise him, essentially. Stephen so I, I, <laughs> well, the, the second that, that might be him. where he gets it. He might <laughs> finally get those sixes in a couple of years' time. Who knows? But, uh, <laughs> or for, for 52-year-old Jimmy Anderson bowling eight miles yeah. an hour, yeah. Um, genuine question, though. You mentioned it there, Finney. I'm not, I'm not saying specifically Jimmy Anderson. This is a wider question. But you mentioned there, we're a long time retired. So... Do you think that's at the back of some cricketers' minds that this is all they know, and they and they they they're kind of a bit afraid almost of what life is like after cricket if you've been doing it for so long? Yeah, yeah. There's certainly that. There are certain things that you miss. You miss the competition. You miss the dressing room. I think a lot of guys say when you retire, you miss the dressing room and going into that dressing room every day and interacting with people. So you miss that, and then yeah, I, I think it's just you have to be willing to accept and let those things go. But now we are better prepared than people were five, 10 years ago to leave the game. Uh, the PCA play a big part in that. And the clubs now also have people who help you explore what you're going to do after cricket. So it's not such a daunting prospect because we dedicate our entire lives to doing this, playing this sport and going as long as you possibly can and getting every little bit out of yourself as you possibly can. And then you get to a stage where you can't do it anymore and you have to be prepared for that. So mm. yeah, no one looks forward to having to make that decision. Um, and I think the one thing that I do hope, you know, Jim could play for another three, four years, whatever he decides to do. You just hope that he gets to make the decision. You want, you want him to go out on his terms whenever he goes. So yeah, that's, that's the one thing you do hope for great players. Oh, Dan, you're on mute. It's unbelievable. We've been doing this podcast for months. We've been in a <laughs> pandemic for over a year. Well, you think he would have mastered Zoom by now? Yeah, but there he is, it, making probably an intelligent point. I'm sure, waving a cigarette around whilst he's on mute. I lit the cigarette on mute. That was the idea. That was what I was trying to do. I was trying to like stop the cigarette lighting process come bleeding through into the podcast, and now I get excoriated for it. <laughs> <laughs> my, my question, my question though, is Jimmy Anderson, Alistair Cook. The greatest run scorer, the greatest wicket taker England have ever had. Alistair Cook retired from England. He's gone back and played for Essex. Played, what is it now? Three seasons, mm. I think, for Essex 2019, 2021. He, who knows, may yet play another. Can you envision that with Anderson? I, I think I almost can, but I don't, I think it would be really unusual. I think it's quite strange for a bowler to retire from international cricket and, and then keep playing counter cricket. Finney, what, what do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, 
he loves it, doesn't he? Probably the thing that he'll least look forward to is batting when you get to that age. Because I've seen Tim Murta batting at the moment, and yeah, I couldn't imagine him batting in two or three years' time. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the, the, the batting's probably the thing that you worry about. Running up and bowling the ball, your body's not going to forget. It probably just does it at a slower pace than you would like to do it in international cricket. So, yeah, if again, if that desire's there, and if he loves playing cricket, which I know he does, then there's no reason why not. Jimmy Anderson nowadays looks more grumpy when he's batting by a long way because also the top order of the England test team yeah. failing. And Jimmy Anderson, who used to, you know, when it was Cook, Strauss, Trot, Peterson, Bell, Collingwood, Pride, Jimmy didn't bat for about five years. It, didn't, it wasn't needed. <laughs> now, now he keeps coming out and there's loads of pressure on him to hold up an end whilst we try and squeeze an extra 20 runs out of our... Of our t- he looks so it, pissed totally off true. when he comes out to bat at 120 for nine every week at the moment. He looks it, absolutely fuming with the whole it, thing. It, it's, abso- it's absolutely true, isn't it? It's like, you know, the weight <laughs> of the world on those shoulders. Like, you have made me do this now. Yeah. And I've got, I've got like a giant crossword and a Sudoku to do and a novel to finish. <laughs> and that was the plan. And yeah, I, but I have a feeling that Jimmy would always look grumpy when he comes out. About, I mean, unless they're like 520 for nine. I think he's, yeah. he's always like, why, why am I going to do this? It's, it's like, it's not that it's beneath him. It's like this is just not part of the plan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've I've done I've bowled really well, and then you muppets have batted crap again and dragged me out here against and my will, so I can reverse sweep <laughs> one four and then get bounced loads and then get out. Basically, is how every single Jimmy Addison in goes. He's got a mean reverse sweep though. Yeah, that's the shittest bit about being a tail ender is that you just know you're getting bounced. You walk out there and someone's bowling half quick. And you're like, well, I've, I know what's going to happen here. Jesus Christ. Go on. You look round the corner. There's a bloke round the corner. There's some bloke at short leg laughing at you going, you know what's coming now, don't you? I'm like, yeah, fuck off. I do. I do actually. And I'm really not looking forward to it. So, yeah, that, that's the worst thing about being a tail end batter. You can go out there and have fun. Medium paces and spin bowlers. I'm happy to face them all day, every day. Give me five Toby Tarrants in a bowling attack to face. <laughs> Honestly, I drool. I'm sat here drooling at the thought of facing that I'm in their not. third spell of the afternoon. <laughs> oh, Jesus, what a pleasure that would be. Finny, you'll get to do that for the Lord's Taverners. And it's a really weird thing, actually. Lord's Taverners and, and, and other travelling cricket teams that use ex-cricketers, you can get bowlers to play cricket well into their 40s and 50s. Not because they're going to bowl, because they'll come in off five paces and just dob it on a length. It's because they can't wait to be up the order yeah. at number four, smashing length deliveries over long off and long on. I, I've seen Ian O'Brien do it absolutely crap in test cricket. He averaged like seven. <laughs> st- st- no, genuinely true. Stick him in a bloody charity game, he gets 70 off. Who is he playing again? And Andy, well, Toby Tarrant. And, and, <laughs> and, and Andy Caddick loves playing, loves playing charity game because, again, he comes in off five paces. If anybody you know, remotely looks like hitting him. He then goes back five yards, gives him one bouncer and then gets back on with it. But he bats at three. You guys, you, you've spent, you've devoted your life to cricket and you've never had the pleasure of using your batting skills. You've had to sit there in nets facing really quite decent bowling. Been, you've, you've been up against the greatest bowlers who have ever lived and had to survive for some time and score some runs, not very many. And then finally, when you can hang up your boots, you get to face Toby and you all, <laughs> all you bowlers, you pile in. You absolutely bloody love it. 
Well, I might you can't get now then. Yeah. Sounds like fun. <laughs> you can't get Graham Fowler or Ian Bell or any batter. There's no, no point in a so batter true. ever playing these games because they go, why would I go through the humiliation of getting out to somebody crap yeah. after having having spent a year trying not to get out to Malcolm Marshall? <laughs> it, it is very, very true. It is so true. The batsman, that is so that you never get ex-batsman playing. I've not seen, you know, Gower will come and umpire the game, but you can't get him to walk out and, and bat. But sure, ask Matthew Hoggard if he wants to go in at five and have a slog. Yes. Can't wait. He can't, and, he, and he, like you say, he spanks it all over the place at, at that level. Genuinely, Finney, here's a question I've, I've wanted to ask. So you and Tim Murta, how often, how long do you guys net for actually batting compared to the batsman, because at club level, we we net on a Wednesday and all the batsmen bat. And then basically, if there's 15 minutes spare at the end, me and the other tail enders go in there and start practicing reverse sweeps and dill scoops and slogging it around for 10 minutes. And then we all go inside and have a pint. I'd imagine Middlesex is slightly different, but how much will Jimmy Anderson still be batting in the net? How much do you and Tim still bat in the net? Well, yeah, I mean, the difference between the international cricket and the domestic cricket is that the the staff at international cricket, there's about 45 of them that will fling at people with the dog stick. So there's always coaches available with elbows and shoulders intact at county level. <laughs> the staffs are a lot smaller naturally. So therefore the coach's time and the batter's time is spent facing the bowlers. And then the coaches will, fling at the batsman if they want any more so in season there's actually not that much practice that a bowler will do on their batting in and around games in pre-season and through the winter it's a different story you practice loads but yeah you, you still practice a decent amount even though it wouldn't or it may not look as though we do sometimes <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I was curious to know I wondered how whether you know Jimmy Anderson strapping on the pads every single net session and, and, and facing facing Joffre Archer in the nets or whether he just might have a few throwdowns or something or he just doesn't pick up a bat at all until he's in a match. What it, is, what it does happen though is, so when you're bowling, you're bowling and, and you like beat the edge and you nip people off and you get them out LB and you're like, gosh, it's coming out really nicely today. You're really confident. You feel as though I'm in good rhythm. I'm ready for the game in the next few days. Then you strap them on and go and have a bat. And it's like walking down a dark well and trying to face bowlers you can't lay bat on the ball it's nipping all over the place you get castled a few times and you think shit maybe I'm not actually bowling that well these nets are just impossible to bat in (laughs) (laughs) it's like you go through a practice session and your confidence is boosted and then you get down there and you realize there's no sight screens you can't see the ball the ball's nipping all over the place and you're like well it's a complete and utter false economy that I've just um, that I've Tim, just been Tim, Tim Murta's pinning you on the helmet. You're going, hang on a second, something, yeah. something's not right. Something's here. not right here. Yeah. What, the, the, the other thing that you've pointed out there is that, that you you get to you get to practice your batting through uh, autumn, winter, and, and spring, and then you go and you do nothing during the summer. So you are absolutely at your best in April. Has any side ever thought of like you know just reversing the batting order in the first part of the season because you're going to get the most out of Stephen Finn opening the batting at the beginning of April, it seems to me. He's hit the most balls. He's in the best nick. By the time we get to July, he's not hit another ball for three months. He's utterly hopeless. He's as bad as you and me, Tobes. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. It's almost impossible. <laughs> I'm not. If I batted with a stump left-handed, maybe I'd be as bad as you two, but not, not if you give me a normal bat and let me bat properly handed. But it's, it is funny. I do, I'm convinced that 
tail enders, if you overthink batting and you start thinking about technique and you start yeah. thinking about trigger movements and stuff, wish it. We're yeah. absolutely rubbish because you start then thinking about what you're doing and you don't just watch the ball. The tail enders that I hate bowling to, and I've tried to turn myself into a bit more of one of these, are the blokes who just walk out with a completely strange technique, watch the ball, and if it's anywhere near where it can be here, they have an almighty waft at it. <laughs> and if it gets edged, it goes over the slips for four. If they get hold of it, it goes fucking miles because we're all big units. <laughs> and it's that style of batting that as a bowler, you're like, oh, I don't want to bowl at one of these blokes because it could go absolutely anywhere and it could ruin your figures so that person that I feared and hated for the first half of my career in the second half of my career I've tried to turn myself into one of those people you you want to be you want to be Marchant Delanga because he is he is exactly that man he's a great big unit he comes out at number 10 and the number of times you get 70 or 50 number 10 for Somerset is it boggles my mind you look at his actual raw numbers and think, why isn't he batting at seven? And then you go, oh, no, that's clever. <laughs> yeah. there, he got, he got 75 off 63 for Somerset yeah. today. And I, I watched the Instagram video of him batting and it, it is very, very entertaining. He's just, he's just a bloke having an absolute slog at the end of a net session. It's beautiful. Um, can I whinge about one thing in cricket chain that I will never understand? And we, we'll get a batsman on here to explain themselves at some point. In all the years that I've played club cricket and school cricket, whatever, there has never been a more pointless invention than the bowling machine, which all the bowling machine seems to do is just put the ball on the perfect cover drive spot and batsmen just hit that they start. They know exactly where the ball's going to be every single time. And you just watch them crunch 50 cover drives and walk out of that net thinking that they're Billy Big Bollocks. I don't understand the benefit of the bowling machine at all. It's quite easy when you know what pace and where the ball's going to be. I, I, I'm entirely with you, I'm afraid. Um, Toby, I'm hoping that Finney can explain the point of the bowling machine. I've never understood it. Never understood it. Well, is it, do you know what a fluffer is? <laughs> <laughs> You're telling me that the, the bowling machine is quite the equivalent of the fluffer. So that, so that somebody's not scored a run all season, who's, who's getting nicked off at the top of the order every week, can go into the net and crunch 20 cover drives and walk out of there feeling like he's Don Bradman. Fluff themselves yeah. up and off out into the middle, yeah. <laughs> needs a cigarette needs a cigarette, and a lie down straight after, I should imagine. But, you know, small price to pay. What, what, what do we, what, we need a bowling equivalent. We need something because there's no... Yeah, it's bowling bowl. at you. <laughs> Look, if there's money, why do you think I'm desperate to have this net? <laughs> I need to be fluffed. <laughs> <laughs> well, that bombshell. Um, I, do you know what? I am happy if there's money in it. If the ECB are listening, I will go from county to county, fluffing the hell out fluffing, of the bowlers, fluffing the bowlers up. Poor bloke's not taking a wicket all season. Here comes Tarrant with a chest guard and an arm guard on. That'll get his confidence up. That'll get his pecker up, quite literally. There we go. If Keith Medlicott had had one of them and Simon Kerrigan earlier on, then uh, yeah, who knows? Exactly. Who knows? Well, although Simon Kerrigan is, is a story of a, of a great reversal, but that's yeah, by the by. Keith Medlicott, my coach for many years at Reed School, um, I gave him a hell of a confidence. He got me out three years in a row when we played against him. He learned the slower that you bowl to me, I can't yeah. physically wait for the ball to arrive. I start pushing at it. And he once bowled one so slow. I, I swear it was 25 miles an hour. And he laughed as he released it. 
I laughed as I watched it come out of his hand. I got into position to forward defend it. I couldn't resist. I was like a moth to a flame. I couldn't resist pushing at it. So then I start laughing as I'm pushing at the ball. And he starts laughing as I hit it. And I pop it back to him for a court and bold. And both of us are just in the middle of the pitch in hysterics laughing. So Keith Medlicott, I got his yeah. confidence well up after he retired. Well, he... He was back. He was back in the England team straight after that, wasn't he? I mean, that, that's the great power. That's the power of the fluffer. That's the power of the fluffer. <laughs> power of the fluffer. If it's good enough for Ron Jeremy, it's good enough for Keith Medleycott. Um, right now, speaking of, uh, of of Jimmy Anderson and how brilliant he is, and we're gonna we're gonna move onto the other side of the cricketing world. So if if things are going brilliantly for Jimmy Anderson at the moment, uh, things are going terribly for Sri Lanka on the pitch. I mean, let's be honest, it was pretty feeble, their attempt at playing England. Admittedly, probably the hardest white ball tour in the world at the minute is coming to England and playing against Owen Morgan's men. But nonetheless, really feeble. Off the pitch, it's going even worse. They've got players refusing to sign central contracts. They're talking about maybe playing a second string 11 against India in their upcoming series against them. Let's be honest, their first string 11 is not great. One of their former cricket analysts, Sanat Jayasundara, has been banned from sport for seven years after he attempted to bribe Sri Lanka's sports minister and also their three players that were caught breaching the COVID bubble and the COVID protocols during this tour of England, they're saying could be banned for up to a year. It is, uh, it's an absolute shambles at the moment, Sri Lanka cricket. And it is very, very sad to see. It's almost so bad, it's a little bit funny. It's almost like the thick of it, but the, the Sri Lankan cricketing version. Dan Norcross, you know, yep. a former exciting cricketing nation a proud cricketing nation who's given us some wonderful players over the year what the hell's going on in Sri Lanka at the moment well what what the hell is going on uh Andrew Fernando on Crick Info is the one-stop shop for finding out just how mad things are there um they have sort of 28 teams in their first class competition we worry about 18 counties I mean 90% of their wickets are taken by finger spinners on dry dusty tracks and then they're expected to come to England against a strangely swinging Kookaburra ball, incidentally, <laughs> by the by. That's for, for another day, that conversation. But stuff going on, cloudy conditions. They, they are in an absolutely hopeless state. They kept losing top-order wickets, in much the same way as England do, frankly, in Test cricket. But in one-day cricket, it's even more exposing. You can't, you can't really escape from it. Uh, 21 for four, 42 for four. The one game that they didn't lose they were going to be absolutely thrashed in because they've been bowled up for 166 when the rain came. And uh, there were some of the more clueless and ridiculous shots going on. It's, it's funny in one sense, and in another sense, it really isn't because it's very concerning. The, the cricket community is quite a small one. And, you know, in football, there are lots and lots of teams that play. There's every country that plays. And there's, you know, I'm going to turn into Jeremy Coney. There's a vast number of teams out there. They're all playing against each other. And they're all making for a perfect harmony within their sport. In cricket, not so much. Um, and that's <laughs> our issue. We we can't allow countries like Sri Lanka just to collapse because mm. the test community is too small, the cricket community is too small, and the competitive environment requires it. You look at New Zealand and you see a perfect example of how mm. a board with not a lot of money and with not a great deal of resource generally has produced undeniably the best test team in the world. They were superb. You know, we'll look back on that New Zealand test team and we'll marvel at their bowling attack, their, their batting lineup. We've talked about it before on this show. Sri Lanka are going in completely the opposite direction. So 
it's funny and it's sad at the same time. And I think the the notion of cricketers being banned for a year because they were seen outside in Durham during COVID, having been in Cardiff, where the regulations are totally different. You know, they were allowed out in Cardiff mm. and then suddenly they go to Durham and they're not. And if you're Sri Lankan, you don't necessarily clock entirely all these differences. You know, you've, you've gone no distance at all. I know they've got previous disciplinary problems on their record, but for Sri Lanka to lose a player like Dick Weller, Gunatelica, Mendis, they can ill afford to do it. So it's, it's yeah, shambles is the right word. Um, but also really concerning. We don't want cricket to go that way. 25 years ago, they won the World Cup. They, they're a brilliant cricketing nation. Yeah, completely agree. And, and it feels a little bit like the West Indies side from, you know, 10 years ago, falling out with the cricket board. And that was the start of the demise of the test team. And we, we don't want to see these proud cricketing nations falling apart before our very eyes. Because you're right, we're, you know, English and Australian Indian cricket, which is very, very strong and always probably will be, actually depends on those nations being strong as well because we you know Eng- english cricket is only appealing to us if we're getting challenged in 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 test matches and odi series you know once in a blue moon a team like sri lanka could come over here and we can spank them in a white ball series but if every series was like that then cricket would die out in this country very very soon as well so it is it's sad to see there um finney i'm trying to think because obviously you were part of very successful england teams i'm, I'm trying to sympathize with this sri lankan team coming over here did you go on any tours that you just, it just felt like everything was going wrong? Were there any tours as well where you just thought like, they're just better than us. We, they're, they're, I don't, I don't, there's nothing we can do. We can tinker with the lineup. We can tinker with the tactics, but we're on a hiding to nothing here and everything seems to be going wrong in this tour. Did you have any tours like that with England? I can't off the top of my head finger too many. Not um, not test tours, I don't think. I mean, the, the Ashes 13, 14 um, was a little bit like that. We were just outclassed all the way through by Australia and Mitchell Johnson in particular. But in terms of outside of that, there were a few one-day tours to India. There's one in particular in 2011 where we got beat 5-0. And I think we we only got MS Dhoni out in the fifth ODI and we got him run out off the last ball of the innings in the fifth ODI. That's the only time we got him out that series. And yeah, they, they were a phenomenal team. They just won the World Cup in 2011 then. Um, and England, we were playing um, outdated one-day cricket at the time, I think. So, yeah, it was um, that was a big golfing class. And actually, I think Sri Lanka did it to us either 5-2 or 6-1 in a seven-match series in 2014, maybe. Mm. I remember going over there and just, the same thing, the alien conditions not quite equipped well enough to go over there and deal with those conditions. And then once you get on a roll in cricket, especially limited overs cricket, where the games come thick and fast, it's hard to get out of that rut, um, especially if there's such a gulf in experience and class between the two teams, which is probably exactly what we've seen with the current England one day team and this, this Sri Lankan team. They've threatened at times through a couple of partnerships to be good. And then you sort of, the, the other team half get a sniff back in the game and, and then it's just all over. They come piling through the door and that's it. So, yeah, you've got to sympathise for them, but I'm sure they'll be better for the experience and hopefully down the road we can see a strong Sri Lanka again. Well, I mean, you mentioned it there. If they do want to cling on to any any bits of hope, it's not a million years ago you're talking about those England tours and yet now we're stood here marvelling at this Owen Morgan side and 
the revolution of English one-day cricket. So Sri Lanka can and will come again, I'm sure. But uh, sorry, state of affairs there at the moment. A few um, players I do want to mention from that England white ball series. Sam Curran, who I always bang on about. I'm obsessed with him and he's amazing. And I think he's going to be a brilliant cricketer in all forms of cricket for England. Bowled very nicely. Chris Wokes is the loveliest, nicest man in the world and still really, really good with a white ball and would be with a red ball if he ever played for England in test, in test at the moment as well. Um, but also I want to mention uh, David Willey, who bowled beautifully and everybody has a soft spot for him because he helped England get the ball rolling with this amazing one-day team and then was unfortunate to be the man that missed out to Joffre Archer just before the World Cup. And at the time, there was, you know, question marks. Is it fair that he gets replaced by Joffre Archer? Well, unfortunately, yes. As Joffre Archer proved in that World Cup, he's a, he's a once-in-a-generation cricketer. Um, but David Willey, to, to come back and, and bowl as uh, probably the best I've ever seen him bowl, actually, for mm. England in a, in a one-day shirt. Yeah. I know the opposition weren't the best, but he, you know, he can only bowl at what's in front of him. Um, Finney, I remember when I saw that David Willey story just before the World Cup, but... Um, as a fellow cricketer, your heart must have gone out to him then when, uh, and he was, he took it really well and he put out a lovely post wishing the boys luck and stuff, but through no fault of his own, really missing out on the England team after guiding them for those years before the World Cup must have been tough for him to take. Yeah, well, obviously every game of cricket that you play for England is special um, and you cherish putting on the shirt and walking out there, but the landmark events and the things that you're judged on as a team are typically Ashes series and India test match series and also World Cups for the white ball team. And those markers are how you judge yourself. Um, and it's always a building process towards those. So whenever you hear people talk about a team, it's always with a World Cup in two years, in three years in mind. So all the time you're playing for England and you're proud to represent them, but you always feel as though you're building towards the point of that World Cup. And that's what David Willey would have felt for those four years that he played for the team between 2015 and 2019. You feel as though you're building that. You're building that rapport. I think Owen Morgan and Trevor Bayliss spoke about it a lot, building the trust and rapport of the team to be able to go and challenge in those, in those global tournaments. And um, he'd have felt a massive part of that over those four years. So, yeah, it's incredibly cruel at the last minute to be left out like that but also you have to be pretty pragmatic in sports sometimes and and it, it can be brutal and obviously Joffre Archer coming in someone had to miss out and unfortunately for him it was it was his place so yeah it's, it's incredibly tough to have to experience that um, and, I, and I felt incredibly sorry for him at the time. I, I watched the, the last game live for, for Five Live and I, I felt he bowled, just like you said, Toby, I felt he bowled better than he was bowling before. Agreed, yeah. You know, I, there, there was a, there's a little bit of an issue with Willie, it, it felt, even in the, in the build-up to the 2019 World Cup, because everyone was perfectionist because England was so good, that could he really do things outside the power play? Well, he came back and bowled balls that still swung back in still, and balls that still went away. He was working players over, which was fantastic to see. And also, I think, and I mentioned it earlier, the balls, I think, are better. You know, the white ball cricket I've seen this year, the Crookaburra balls, women's cricket and men's cricket, they've swung more mm. and later. Uh, and we saw the ball moving around. There were nice overhead conditions in Bristol on Sunday for the ball to move. But still, I've seen Crookaburra balls just do nothing after mm. three overs at each end. Once a lacquer's gone, it's over. And uh, Phil Tufton made the point, actually, 
on commentary he said you know they're not getting green they're not getting as as dirty as previous kookaburra balls so hopefully that'll make the balance between bat and ball better because for me uh, i get a little bit tired with 350 plays 290 mm. i quite like the idea of a ball that actually moves I like the idea of a ball that moves and actually the balls this year have, even in the T20s that we've played, when you get it in the 20th over, there's still all the gold writing on it. So maybe they're putting an extra layer of something on it. Um, We haven't found the T20 balls have swung as much or or as prodigiously as the balls in the ODI series have, but they're definitely staying in better nick. But I think that I personally would rather see one white ball used for the entire innings and I'd like mm. to see it reverse swing at the end, not conventionally swing because because the new ball, the new ball stays hard. So then if it's not swinging or if the next batch of balls doesn't swing and they're staying in that good nick, it's going to fly all over the place. It's going to mean that the ball goes further and it's even more in the batsman's favour. But if you use one white ball and you allow people to throw it into the deck from the boundary and stuff, which they actually stop at the moment, if you throw it in to the, to like to the long side, if you're at long on or long off and you try and throw it to the keeper and bounce it on the wicket, you get a slap on the wrist from the umpire. So I would much rather see reverse swing because actually for me watching reverse swing bowling, whether it's in test match cricket or one day international cricket is the most exciting thing about cricket because you have to be really skilled to be able to hit it. And you also have to be very skilled in order to, to, to control it as a bowler. Um, so my argument is that it's fine conventional swing and, and having guys who can conventionally swing it. But the most exciting thing in international cricket would be reverse swing. Uh, interesting, Penny, this, yeah. is, this, is, this is absolutely beautiful because having spent weeks finding out from you what is the worst thing in cricket, which so far has been about 35,000 things. Everything, yeah. You you showed genuine genuine enthusiasm for the best thing in cricket, and I'm I'm quite moved. It turns you out moved, I'm quite it, moved. it turns out that Stephen Finn hates cricket, but he bloody loves reverse swing, and, and we never knew. Swing. And we never knew. <laughs> look at him! Look how happy! I've never seen him so happy. I know. Talking me too. About, I know. Talking about reverse swing. He's actually like, smiling. Like my teeth whitened. What's yeah, going yeah. on? <laughs> look at you! How happy you are! <laughs> look, at you. looks like he's being fluffed right now. He's got a big grin on his face. He's having a great. How do you time. know? How do you know what's going on under here? <laughs> and then on that, and on that note, chaps, I, I, I have to say goodbye to you both. But uh, it's been an emotional roller coaster. Um, but lovely to see you both. We'll chat next week. We'll look forward to the 100 next week as well because Finney, Stephen Finn's got a contract. Don't forget, Stephen Finn's got a contract. We'll be looking forward to the 100 next week and talking all things England as well. See you next week, chaps. Have a good one. Thank you, darlings. See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.